0: I don't think anybody is wanting you to be wearing tight pants at all. Except football. That's, that's, you're, you're muted. You're not even on. Hurtful? Um, yeah, that is hurtful. Justin, so I don't think anyone... We're live. We're live. Yeah, we're live. Oh. Hey, welcome to right the right Outlaw now. Radio Show. My name is Zach Adams. Oh, my goodness. I pastor God. a church located just outside of Athens, Georgia. The name of the church is Calvary 316. If you're local, come hang out with us one Sunday morning. Uh, Services at ten thirty. If you're not local but looking for a church, uh, you can check out online our YouTube channels, Calvary316.live. Uh, you can also uh, our service streams. You can watch on Facebook.com/slash Calvary316. Very quick programming note in case uh, at this point you'd be watching on YouTube. It really wouldn't matter. We we had a bit of a glitch with the the Outlaw Radio Facebook page streaming to it tonight, so we actually are streaming to the Calvary316 page. I hope. You found it. We apologize for that. We're gonna to try to figure out what in the world. Facebook sometimes just gets really weird. We are streaming uh to YouTube. Uh, OutlawRadio.live is our YouTube channel, so all of that's great. Uh Pope Creighton, how you doing, buddy? I am doing well. So you got a little a great oh, intro
1: into the episode today. Just you got to a you
0: got a little poof going, man. You got a little I don't like
1: you, you can't me call now. it a poof.
2: You're not on. <laughs> <laughs> can
0: you turn me on? Okay,
1: we'll just
2: we turn you, you on. Out. You're oh on now. Oh my goodness. Now you're on meow. There you, there you go. go. <laughs> uh,
1: it's it's a bit of a fro. It's a, you know what it actually is. It's a Jerry curl a bit. It is a bit of a Jerry curl, but it's dry because I don't have to use activator because I have good hair. You
0: know,
3: we'll call it the but
0: Black Osteen. No, he's, the, he's no that's worse. <laughs> we'll call little, it the Black
3: Osteen. <laughs> if he gets his hair a little bit bigger, it's gonna be a Bob Ross.
0: <laughs> Bob you Ross. You know what? I'm cool. I'm cool with a Bob Ross. I'm not cool with the Joel Osteen. That other voice that's jumping in here is Spice Daddy. How you doing, buddy? Pretty good. Pretty good? Yeah. You've, you've kind of now, you've migrated to another chair. Like, you've moved further and further away from the couch. But you seem to have been embracing it, honestly.
3: I have just, no, I, it's not that I've embraced anything. I've just given up. You've and just given up. given up, and I'll just go wherever you tell me to sit.
0: See there we go.
2: Yeah, his face right now is definitely full of embrace. I yeah. can see it. <laughs> yeah, so the,
0: <laughs> the, the random voice you're hearing is the typic- chirping. It's typ- Yeah, the chirping. It's typically in the fourth chair. <laughs> He's been relegated
2: to the the uh, the audience couch. Uh, football mom, how you doing? I'm doing great. Good to be here. This is a comfortable couch, Justin. I fully understand why you want to be here.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I miss it.
2: So jumping
0: jumping
4: into the fourth chair tonight is our good buddy, uh, Aaron Mott. How you doing, Aaron? Doing well, man. I was hoping I, you know, could see Justin in some tight pants tonight. But some tight <laughs> pants, yeah. but No, next, next time. Okay.
0: Nobody, nobody wants Is that,
3: that to happen. They want y'all. Just have to look at it. Not, not me. No, we changed the camera <laughs> angle. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Bottom half only. Yeah, <laughs> for sure.
4: <laughs> I do.
0: I do appreciate the McRib shirt. That was that had was to bring gifted. It, back. it had was to bring gifted it back. to you, Makes for sure.
4: Me, it's for Valentine's Day, you know. Abs- for True Valentine's love. Day. It's it's a Valentine's like a
0: heart on my chest. McRib, yes. It. Mick loving it. Oh, boy.
1: Creighton, explain how the uh, the show works. Uh, well, generally speaking, Black Osteen? I, nope. I'm cool with Bob Ross. Joel is a heretic. Uh, sometimes we talk about that. Sometimes we talk about other things. Uh, but, Jace, basically, I will bring a topic. Uh, we will discuss that topic, or Zach will make a Bible study out of it, depending on the topic. It can range from anything from whether or not Joel Osteen is a heretic to... Um, last week, we did an interview with Zach and his dad, and it was a very good good episode. Go back and watch it. His dad's fascinating. He's been a pastor for, I think we said forty three years. Forty three years, yep. Which is longer than I've been alive by a good margin. Um, so what happens is we do that. If you are watching live on either YouTube or Facebook, you can get in the comments and you know if you have comments, questions, or concerns about what we're saying, you can put those down there. And if I think can it's interact a good, comment, in real time. In real time, uh, assuming that I like the comment and I think that it's. Pertinent to the conversation, I will then say it to the room um, and we'll discuss that as well. Um, there's also a text line, but I can never remember the number. Hold on. Three, I have to type it into the three comments. three sixteen. Six seven eight 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 three three
0: three one six. You can Got also it. email the show at PopeCraighton at gmail.com. That is an active email address, Popecrayton at gmail.com. I, speaking of the interview that uh, that we did last week with my dad. Um, uh, we got a uh, I don't know if you saw this, but we got a post that came late because it's uh, watching in South Africa is a different time time zone for oh, sure from Walter. so so I, I thought this was one of the nicest compliments um, that that honestly I, th- I think we could ever receive. He posted this. He says, what your dad said about the first time he heard Pastor Chuck and how he preached the Bible in a way that he had never heard before. That is what I experienced the first time I listened to Outlaw Radio. Man.
1: That's high praise. Yeah, that's
0: very high praise. And um, uh, what a compliment! I just wanted to just, just throw that out there, Walter. Thank you so much. You're part of our family. Uh, we'll we we'll, if we don't meet here on Earth, we'll meet in heaven for sure. So here, there, in the air. So uh, what's
3: I'm, I'm gonna try and get down there and get some biltong with them.
0: Some okay. Well, no there... one knows what biltong is, but you.
3: Well, that's their problem, not mine. That's true.
0: <laughs> South Africa is a, a dicey place to be traveling to these days, for sure. So, uh, Creighton, the um, in in regards to today's topic, I, I I have a few things that I could open with. I'd rather just dive into uh, whatever you you're bringing tonight.
1: So, um, I feel like we've done a lot of one of the things that we we run into with the show a lot is we have episodes that I would call uh, weird or strange or just out there. Um, where we talk about aliens or the Nephilim or whatever, um, and then we have some that are kind of on the midline, which are things like the interviews, which I think are really great. Or, um, or you
0: pick, or you pick like a random, like a bizarre, like oh, so that happened,
1: right? Or segment. a Bible verse where it's like that's in the Bible. Right. What is that about? Um, today I wanted to go back and just do like because we've done a lot of weird ones recently. I want to do something that is very uh, basic, like just okay. So. I'd like you to teach on John three sixteen, evangelizing to the world because it's the most famous, it's the most famous Bible verse probably. And it's certainly the most uh, famous evangelistic tool. Um, you see it on billboards. There was that football player whose name is escaping me that wore it in his eye black for a while. Tebow um, wore that, but he also did. Philippians that was, for what I was thinking of.
0: 13, I think. Tebo um, kind of rotated his his eye black.
1: Well, I appreciate that. I try not to talk Varieties about it. the spice of life.
0: Yeah, it's Florida days.
1: Um but yeah, I'd like you to just teach on John 316 and presenting the gospel to the world.
0: Famously, uh John three sixteen, I guess beginning in the eighties, there was that that movement. I think it was mainly in Detroit where a guy had season tickets to the uh football game and, and it was anytime they kicked a field goal or an extra point, he, he would was hang right the behind her yes. in the end zone. And uh, that that kind of put it into a kind of pop culture. Uh, John three sixteen. I think you're right. It's probably the most famous verse um, in the scripture. I think even even people that aren't Christian um, or have very limited Bible knowledge are familiar. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's it's the um, I it's the most famous verse for good reason to be real because it really is the summary statement of not just what the gospel message is, but what the entire life of Christ is and what the ultimate manifestation of all the old Testament prophecies. And you know, that God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his name is Jesus. And then it gives the way of salvation. You know, those who believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So there's reason, I guess my point there's, there's a justified cause for, the notoriety of the John 3.16 uh, verse. There's a lot of other really good, interestingly, uh, a lot of other good 3.16 verses um, in the scripture, Um, hence why we're called Calvary uh, 3.16. It was on Calvary that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so uh, Calvary 3.16 is a playoff of John 3.16 uh, in, in addition to several other good 3.16 verses and the fact that we are located uh, off of Highway 3.16 all kind of comes together uh, nicely. Um, John 3.16, before before I get to the text itself and set some context and we just kind of have a conversation, you guys have any uh, preliminary initial uh, thoughts on the verse? Anything you want to jump in?
3: Yeah, I think it's a very defining verse for Christianity in and of itself I mean because it's it, it's that verse that separates many of the other religions of the world you know all of the other religions they 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 never mention the love of their God the God is an overbearing uh, uh, how do I say this it's tyrant an overbearing tyrant a lot of times he doesn't love he doesn't love the the, the people that he rules over he's it, just there and he's usually causing trouble or, or sending some kind of test or requiring so much that that you can't live up to the, the standards of that there and the requirements of that God. Mm-hmm. And and John three sixteen I think defines that for Christianity and separates it from all the others. And and I think that's that's one of the coolest things. I mean you you've got all I mean, what other religion tells us that their god loves you mm-hmm.
4: there's always judgmental
0: for sure no i think that's a great
3: observation
4: i think on top of that too it like at the simplest it's pretty much the entire gospel message in a quick little a quick little verse i mean it sums up kind of the point that we're at now in the church age and and at the simplest what our role is you know god so loved the world that he gave his only son you know, So it's our job to believe in him. There are things that come with that, yeah. but at the core, that's, it's the gospel message.
3: Yeah, I think it goes back to that, That I don't know if some of our international people watch the Super Bowl, but that he, he gets us commercial that's caused a lot of uproar mm-hmm. in the Christian community. And then somebody made kind of a spoof, I don't want to call it a spoof, because it's a way better commercial than he saves he us. Saves us. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and that just defined everything of what should have been put out to the world. Instead of so he gets us, he didn't just get us. He saves us. So,
0: right. Mm-hmm. So what if he gets us? <laughs> I would hope he does. He's God. Right. You know, I was talking to, uh, <laughs> we were at baseball practice last night and some of the guys were talking about their jobs and, um, you know, you have to like one guy has to turn in a time sheet, uh, which is odd because he's salaried <laughs> and, and he was talking about like how ridiculous that is that I have to turn a, a time sheet in, even though I'm salaried like it. Doesn't that shouldn't matter. And I was like, Yeah, my boss is a tyrant too. I said, I said, I've got to turn in time sheets as well. Um, you know, and he's God. He should know. Like I shouldn't have to turn in a time sheet. <laughs> you know, he's he's all knowing, etc. So there's the um uh that that commercial. I and I again I don't know, um I, I don't really I know Creighton has kind of introduced the topic on John three sixteen. Um but still, that that commercial. So, if you hadn't seen the Super Bowl commercial, and, and they've been the the he gets us. That has been uh, that has been a com- a commercial. Um, they've had several varieties of it. It's been a, for the last few years. I think they've been doing these commercials. Um, I think it's a it's a Christian lobby. There's a lot of uh, hobby lobby money. I think behind it. I'm not hundred percent sure uh, who's paying for it pretty significant to do a super bowl commercial because of the amount of money. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's like, I I don't know. The very thing that strikes me as odd is the, the notion that Jesus needs a PR, uh, like he needs a rebranding. Um, it's like, that's, that seems like really presumptive, you know, and that you are going to rebrand Jesus. He gets us. It's like, I, I, you know, but then the idea, like he, okay, he, he gets us. I thought it was summarized pretty well. So the commercial had, uh, like it was washing feet, and it was playing on Jesus washing the feet of his disciples and that Jesus would wash the feet of all these different people, you know, and it was, you know, from the trans person to the the girl outside the abortion clinic, uh, you know, it was, it was all the, the immigrant, there was all these different groups of people and it was kind of the yin and the yang uh, washing feet. And I saw, and I thought that this was kind of a perfect summary of, of just the ignorance behind it. Because when we saw it, we were all watching the Super Bowl. And uh, Nick came out and was like, Hey, did you see that commercial? And I was like I was like, Yeah, Did they not realize that Jesus only washed the feet of his disciples? Like, he wasn't going around washing just anyone's feet, like he washed the feet of his actual followers. Um, his disciples. And then I saw I saw a tweet today that was like, Yeah, Jesus washed the feet of Judas and then sent him to hell. Right like, So what? Like what's the like what's the point? What's the message? Um, again, I, I think so. That, I was
1: not there yeah. for the Super Bowl. I was at home playing Kingdom Hearts because I'm a nerd and Kingdom didn't want to socialize. But my question is: at the end of it, was there any called repentance? these oh, people no no no! He no, no, was washing no, the it, feet of, it, it, or was it just straight up like? No, it said Jesus. I Jesus, love everybody. Jesus
0: doesn't hate. Jesus washes feet. He gets us. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So seems um, one dimensional. But it, yeah, very in and, and just i don't think it makes a whole lot of sense that's neither here nor that i do think that that will kind of tie into this uh this particular topic right that you that you've introduced um it seems as though football mom's kind of chomping at the bit to jump in here uh, with a thought uh you've kind of you've kind of gone back and forth with the
2: mic like i'm ready i'm ready and then you back off so you very that, quickly what do you got that is uh my state of life um no, I think you know. Honestly, I did. I haven't seen the Super Bowl. I didn't watch the commercial. But I think it'd be really hard to come up with a commercial in thirty seconds or however long it was that really could put Jesus into that kind of box. You know what I mean? Thirty. What would your What would your thirty second message be? Uh, for God so loved the world that He gave Jesus His only begotten. <laughs> yeah, son. but how would you make that into a commercial?
0: man just black with text i mean you're gonna spend three million dollars you might as well save some money you know it's like kanye west commercial where he dropped seven million dollars for it or whatever you hear about that and he just filmed it with his iphone it's like that makes sense to me you're gonna spend all the money on the commercial you know
1: okay serious tangent i saw a clip of that on instagram was that a real commercial that he yeah yeah he paid
0: seven million dollars for it or something like that okay um yeah it's crazy but um, so John 316 let's, let's take a second. And, and, um, first, I think the first observation is who, who actually makes the statement. Uh, that's a quote. It's a quote from Jesus. <laughs> those are the words of Jesus. If, if you have one of those Bibles where Jesus's words are in the red letters, this is in red. Um, this is, it's, you could even say this is probably, um, the most quoted statement of Jesus's entire ministry. Uh, more people know those words of Jesus than anything else. That 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 Jesus Jesus made that statement. That that's a quote. You know, you could put in quotations and then dash Jesus. This is him saying that, and he's saying that in in the context of a very interesting uh, theological discussion. Not with not just a, a normal run of the mill um, plebe. Um, this is. Um, John chapter 3 is a an interaction that occurs um, at the very beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. Um, Jesus is, he's known, he's a known quantity, um, but John actually records um, a lot of that first year uh, that the Synoptic Gospels leave out. Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, really focus primarily on Jesus' Galilean ministry, um, whereas John... Again, writing much later and probably with the intent of recording some of this stuff, focuses on the early first year of Jesus' ministry where he spends a lot of time uh, in Jerusalem, Judea. Um, This is really before he's even uh, codified what we would call like the 12 apostles. This is very early on. He's a known quantity. He's been baptizing down in the Jordan, he's been preaching, Uh, he's known as a rabbi. Um, He's in Jerusalem seems to be the context. And another scholar, um, a man by the name of Nicodemus, um, who is a member of the the Jewish Sanhedrin. He's a Pharisee. Um, he is part of this 70-member ruling body. Um, his charge is to evaluate teachers, to evaluate what's being taught to the people. It's kind of his, his responsibility. So the fact that he comes to Jesus, he wants to have this conversation. Hey, you're saying some things about the kingdom of God. You're saying some things about heaven. You're saying some things that are very interesting. He comes privately at night. Again, this is not a public conversation. There's not to be a public spectacle. Uh, This is a private exchange of a genuine seeker, Nicodemus, a man that is hearing what Jesus is saying. He's watching, he's observing, he's wrestling, and he uh, he wants more. He has questions. Uh, Jesus takes this audience. You know, it's it's been called the first Nick at Night. Um, Nicodemus, Nicodemus comes to Jesus with some genuine, sincere questions. Um, big questions. Um, it's a great chapter, John chapter 3. They deal with a lot. This is famously where, you know, Jesus will coin the phrase that's used. It's a Christianese term, but Jesus, you know, it's talking about you know, what he came to accomplish. And Nicodemus is, you know, he's talking about rebirth. You need to be born again. If you want to enter the kingdom, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus asks the logical question. He's like, what does that mean, man? Like, do you want me to crawl back up into my mom and come back out again? Like, it's a it's a, it's a, it's a comical question, but it's, it's logical. Like, you're using phrases that are not in the Old Testament. You're using phrases that I'm, we're unfamiliar with. Like, what are you getting at when you're talking about rebirth? To be born again, and that's where Jesus is like, I'm not talking about flesh. You know, you're born of water. I'm re- I'm talking about a second birth where you're born of spirit. And so there's this this exchange. Very uh, again, the theology, uh, the the probably one of, um, John chapter three uniquely, as far as like you have this Jewish rabbi. A Jewish rabbi. You have you have Nicodemus. The conversation itself it's unlike anything else in, in any type of of religious literature. Um, you don't find anything similar to this in the Quran, where Muhammad is having a conversation with a, a genuine seeker. Um, it, it is it is a unique just the context of it of what's happening. Moving forward, Nicodemus. Um, there's substantial evidence. That Nicodemus ends up becoming a, a follower of Jesus. Um, we know that, that the Sanhedrin was was not unanimous in regards to the uh, the the tact, the strategy that they took to um, destroy Jesus, to to crucify him. Um, we're told, um, interestingly enough, that that when Jesus was on the cross, um, that another wealthy individual, a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, um, took a private audience with Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. Uh, wanted permission to give Jesus a proper burial, not the the typical criminal burial where they would take him from the cross and throw him into the dump. Um, he wanted permission to, to put Jesus in his own tomb. Um, this was not a one-person job, um, and he recruits Nicodemus. Uh, the very man that's having this conversation some two-and-a-half years or so later uh, will be one of two men that, that actually removed Jesus from the cross, the demonstration of God's love, right? For God's love that he gave. But what does giving mean? And they saw it, and they and they lay him in a tomb. Like, Nicodemus ends up becoming a Christ follower, which is what's great, is that we'll meet Nicodemus, you know? That Nicodemus is in heaven, um, that he... Um, and, and and we're so thankful that he has this conversation with Jesus, and that's recorded for us. So, so they're in the midst of this theological tit-for-tat. They're talking about things. So John 3.16 gets the press... But we really, for context, you need to go back like two verses for some context to to, to John 3.16. And I'll read it. You go back to verse 14. Jesus says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then verse 17, for, for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, verse 18, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So Jesus begins this this section with an Old Testament story that goes back to Numbers. And it's about, he starts, he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And within the context, Jesus is making, he's he's making a reference back to an Old Testament story to provide some context to the, the intention, the purpose, the mission of the Son of God. This particular story that's recorded for us in Numbers, I forget the exact chapter, is... A plague. God is judging. They're in the wilderness. Moses is leading the children of Israel to the land of promise. I believe this follows um, their failure to enter the land and is in- included in-, in their 40 years of wandering. Uh, but because of their complaining, their rebellion, uh, God sends this plague onto the children of Israel. And it's a particular kind of like brutal plague. Um, he sends poisonous serpents into the camp to torment the Israelites. You know, he gets us, right? (laughs) (laughs) So all these people are dying because they're getting bitten by these poisonous snakes, uh, which is just seems terrible. Snakes creep me out. My immediate thought is like, Indiana Jones, you know, where he falls into the the, the, the snakes with Indiana Jones, like that, did creep me out. Why is it always snakes? Why is it always snakes?
2: <laughs> You're living in the wrong state, is all I'm going to say. Because <laughs> there's a lot of snakes here. There's
0: a lot of snakes. I I stay away from snakes. I have nothing to do with snakes. The um, so so God's judging Israel through these poisonous snakes. So they start crying out, you know. And so Moses petitions God, and, and God says, okay, this is, this is what you're going to do. You're going to take a pole, bronze pole, and you're going to have a serpent fashioned out of the bronze going down this pole. You're going to take the pole. You're going to put it in the middle of the camp. Anybody that gets bit by one of these snakes, if they look on the pole, they'll be healed. It's kind of just this trippy story, right? Interestingly enough, that's where we get the, the medical symbol,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, the, the pole with the, the serpent. That that comes from this particular biblical story. That's where you get the imagery. And so as the serpent was was on the pole, again, was there anything about the, the pole or the bronze or any of that? that healed? No, no, this was, you had to look on this. God's word said, look on this and faith. And it was faith that healed you. There was nothing magical or mystical. It was purely an act of faith. In obedience to God's word by looking onto this item that salvation was provided. So Jesus brings up this story to describe himself, his mission. He says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man uh, must be lifted up, which we will understand in hindsight would be the cross, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So he's like, hey, the way that salvation happens Everyone gets bit by sin, and that's a death sentence. The wages of sin is death. Salvation comes in the same manner. It's by faith. That's the point that Jesus is making. But it's faith in what? It's faith in the fact, in, in, in the Son of Man who's been lifted up, which, again, in context we understand to be the cross. So our salvation comes not by a work that we do. It's not some mystical thing. It's, it's an act of faith in the Son of Man being lifted up. And then, and then Jesus, within that context, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then Jesus elaborates on that statement by saying, For, so that links the idea. So that we're making a comparison. He's adding on to it. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. That's verse 17. For God so loved the world, verse 16, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now he's repeating, shall not perish but have everlasting life. But he's giving more of the mechanism that, that the son would be lifted up. Why? For God would give his only begotten son. And why would he give? For he loved. So there's this linking within the phraseology of the, the, the development of the idea. Everlasting life is the goal, as opposed to everlasting damnation. How do we achieve that? Well, it's faith. Faith in what? It's a belief in in, in the only begotten Son of God. And, and what aspect of the only begotten Son of God? Well, the fact that he's raised up his death, his execution, his crucifixion. But why would all of that happen? Well, it's based on God's love for the world. So we have the linking of these ideas, the development of that, these ideas, which is then why in verse 17 we have the amendment... Because that seems crazy. Well, why would God do such a thing? We didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but, he, but that the world might be saved. So the goal here of giving was salvation. That's the manifestation of his love. That uh, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned because he has not believed in the, in the name of the only begotten son of God. Unpacking verse 16. For God so loved the world you know if you if you're going to just highlight and I think Justin you brought this up which was a great great notion God so loved the world which is an amazing idea within the context of what the world is the world that phrase the world within its biblical notion like the development of that idea it's a contrast to heaven. It's a contrast, like it's fallen. It's sinful, it's wicked, it's evil. Uh, Egypt was a picture of the world during the Exodus. As a result, it's a place of bondage, slavery, servitude. Sodom and Gomorrah, a picture of the world, perversion, sexual deviancy, war, the world, you know, Peace is related to the kingdom of heaven. Joy, the kingdom of heaven. Misery, suffering. And the world exists in this context because it has rejected God. Um, God didn't just put man into the world. He put man into a garden. Because of sin, man was expelled from a garden into the world.
2: It's, It's this kind of... Metaphoric imagery, yes, can, can I, I want to ask a question there. So just so I can understand, how did people previous to Jesus's death get into heaven? Okay, so it would still
0: be a uh, faith and a coming savior. so again, the, the the mechanism of salvation was all always so okay, Abraham, Believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Believed God it was accounted to him for right. Abraham was declared to be righteous before God. For what belief? Well, it, was, it? Was the original belief of the messianic promise? Abraham believed what, and it was accounted to. He believed that God was going to provide a savior for sin. Uh, it goes back to Genesis three um, fifteen, you know, and pronouncing the curse on the serpent. You will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. The seed of the woman. Um, all throughout scripture. Uh, and, and you get this illustrated very, very much so in Hebrews 11, this hall of faith, uh, listening to Old Testament saints. What What belief, what did they put their faith into that it was then accounted to righteousness? They put their faith in the fact that God was going to provide a savior from the seed of Abraham. And then later the seed of David. That God was going to provide a savior, which is why they were looking out for it. I mean, they, you know, it wasn't that Jesus was, was coming in declaring himself to be Christ, Messiah, void of some anticipation, looking for the Christ or the Messiah. The Old Testament spoke about it entirely, meaning that in the Old Testament, if you died having an expectation, a looking out for, a faith in what you couldn't see, you didn't know of Jesus or the cross and how it would all play out. But if you died having this faith, like I'm broken, I'm a sinner. I know you have to provide a savior. I can't save myself. And I'm longing. like it's, it's, it's referred to as like that messianic expectation. If you died, now were you in heaven? No. You were actually placed into a temporary location known as paradise. Hades existed in, in a divide. We had paradise, those that died in faith were kept. And then you had those that died without faith were kept, Hades. If you die today without faith in Jesus, you go to Hades, you don't go to hell. If you tell someone to go to hell, you're like, well, technically I can't go there. I would go to Hades to be accurate. And then we're told later at the great white throne judgment at the end of time, Hades is in, is emptied to stand before the judgment seat of God, and then they're cast into hellfire and, and, and brimstone. Paradise, the other half, where any Old Testament saint, this whole area was called, with, with illustrative language, Abraham's bosom. Paradise, if you died in faith, looking to Jesus, we're told that Jesus went and preached during the three days of his, of his death. Jesus went, and we're told he led cap, captivity captive. He, led, he revealed himself to those people, and, and obviously there was an acceptance of Jesus, and then they went to heaven. No one goes to paradise today. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. We're saved by looking back to a work that Christ accomplished. You were saved before that by looking towards the anticipation of a work that God would accomplish. We're saved by the same thing. It's just a different vantage point.
3: So why don't modern, for lack of a better term, woke Christians, the new modern church, how... I feel like they misconstrue this verse where they they get the God loves part and they get the he's not here, Jesus wasn't here to condemn them, but they miss the whole Jesus is a righteous judge part. Like where, well, let's get, let's where, actually. Well, like, what part mm-hmm. of that what?
2: is the righteous judge? I didn't hear any of that. Well, it's not in that. Very, verse, no, 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 right. it's there. No, very
3: quickly. Let me get there.
0: It's, it's absolutely there. For God so loved the world, so God loved the world, so much it caused him to act. And what was the action? That he gave his only begotten son, that he gave Jesus, that whoever believes in Jesus should not perish but have everlasting life. The operative and important word is he gave. What did, how did he give? What did he give? God loved the world so much that he killed his only son on the cross. For what? So that those who believe in his atoning work on their behalf might be saved and receive everlasting life. Like, the bloody part of the verse is what it means that he gave. His motivation was his love for the world. The result would be faith in Jesus to provide salvation, but the he gave part. Why did he give? What took place in the gift? What occurred on the cross? Jesus being the son of God, being sinless and spotless, being undeserving of any of this was nailed to a tree for what reason? So that the wrath of God for our sin would be satisfied by his sacrifice what is our belief that saves it's not just in jesus it's that jesus was given by god to be an atoning sacrifice for my sin that's the belief that saves if you believe that jesus is god great you'll go to hell because satan believes that so do the demons if you believe that jesus was a great teacher cool you'll die and go to hell the only if you believe Jesus is a friend, a good guy, a moral example, you'll die and go to hell. What belief in Jesus saves? It's the belief that he's a savior. How is he a savior? Because he 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 saves by atoning and that you need saving and that you need saving. Mm-hmm. So so like the, the for God so loved the world. Great. That sounds great. He loves the world. But do you realize his love for the world? caused the the most tragic mischaracterization of justice ever to occur in the history of the planet that Jesus was crucified the Romans didn't kill Jesus the Jews didn't kill Jesus you didn't kill Jesus who sacrificed Jesus God did which is why you go back to like like what occurred on this mountain that foreshadowed it God told Abraham to do what with his only begotten son. Mm-hmm. He commanded him to take Isaac, his only son, and the father was to sacrifice the son. It was a picture. It
3: was a foreshadowing. So I think we have to also just looking back at this because you know, I, you we, see the violence in it though, like did, yeah, like I you want to talk about yeah, the, the
0: judge sense. just so we don't get the judgment. Like where's is God is the judgments right here? Jesus was judged for you.
3: Well, I, what I'm talking about is like the future Jesus is, is he's a righteous judge. We're going to stand before him sitting at the right hand of, of God in the future. And he's going to judge the, the, what does it say in the English, the quick and the dead kind of thing. And, and I, I, I tend to forget, like he's, like you he said earlier, he's speaking to Nicodemus here, who was a, he, he was a biblical scholar for, you know, for that time period. He's a Jew and, and a lot of the Jews, you know, believe that there was going to be two different messiahs here. And, and I think within that context, yeah, he's talking to me as a, a Gentile for my understanding, but within the context, I think of, of Judaism, he, he's talking about, uh, he's explaining the, the Messiah itself, uh, of coming in as he's, he's not coming to judge and, and condemn like, uh, I looked at the original Greek in the Blue Letter Bible. Um, you should Blue Letter Bible org uh, mm. it's dot org. <laughs> com. I think it's dot org org. Um, but uh, I, I looked up the original Greek, and it basically means he wasn't coming here to separate at that time. Like the purpose of Jesus coming the first time was to provide that saving, and 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 not when he comes time. again, he's not coming to... He'll sift. Next time is judgment. So, um, salvation and
0: judgment.
4: He came in peace, he's coming. Right, and I think that's the point where... Saving then sifting.
3: Which, to me, to me, who hasn't been raised in Judaism, doesn't understand what I'm looking for as a Jewish Messiah. I'm just looking for someone to save me from my sins. Like, this is what Nicodemus needed to to understand, is, like, he's coming to first save, and then when he comes again, he's coming to judge, and... I think that that makes this verse even more, more so with with that understanding of it. Black I think, Black um, Osteen, what do you got?
1: <laughs> I hate that name. Um, I think because I really like the question that you asked. I don't know, fifteen minutes ago at this point, um, about how, like, what is the what is the fault of the progressive Christians or whatever, and where they lose this because it seems so simple, and I think the the difference is it's problem where they read verse 17 and they don't read verse 18 Mm -hmm. because verse 17 Mm -hmm. is for god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved beautiful jesus is here to save us but they don't read 18 which is where it says because he who believes in him is not condemned and then importantly but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of god they like that they like 17 and they don't like 18 because 18 is where that judgment comes from. Well, uh, it is that you are already condemned.
0: So let's, let's add, um, let me, let me build off of that because this is the other part that they don't, they don't like They focus on for God, so love the world. They don't like to talk about what it meant for him to give. And what they totally avoid is, is the options that humanity faces. So the bo- bottom half of verse 16 should not perish, but have everlasting life. So, so humanity has one of two options. Like your, your destiny is one of two things. Perishing <laughs> or everlasting life. I'll take option B, Bob. perishing or everlasting life. Meaning, yes, God loves the world, but the world's going to end up in one of two places, Mm -hmm. perishing or everlasting life. But even in the context of his love, the way you get to one or the other is what you deal with Jesus. And that's, and that's the misconception. Like, okay, he gets us. The problem is, is so what? Like he gets us for, for what reason? Mm
3: -hmm. Little hint and the words of the great Michael Jackson and many of the other, uh, celebrities of the eighties. We are the world. (laughs) Right. Right. But like now I, I get, I get the, the sentiment,
0: the sentiment is like, well, Hey, Jesus loves the sinner. And I think that's what they're trying to emphasize. Hey, if you've had an abortion, Jesus loves you. If you're, if you're struggling with gender identity, Jesus loves you. If you are an immigrant, Jesus loves you. That Okay, Christians might not reflect the love of God and the way that they should, but you need to know, and this is why we're doing this marketing campaign, that Christians don't represent Jesus well, that he loves you. And that, that's an okay message, but it's completely incorrect. It's the, for God so the world part. But then it ends there. Okay, he gets us. He loves these people. So much so, that he died on the cross to make them something else.
1: To change them inherent.
2: To change them into a new creation. Well, it's possible that, you know, it was just trying to draw their attention... You know, it's like, okay, well, maybe, you know, you thinking from someone's perspective who doesn't know Jesus. Yeah. Okay, well, what do you mean he gets us? How does he get me? And, you know, the hope is that, you know, you could look at it cynically and I totally understand. I get it, you know, but at the same time, it might draw somebody to think, you know, how does he get me? Why does he get me? What was the cause of, you know, what does that even mean? But my deeper question is, why, did, why was that required? Well, I think what, that's where that
3: spoof commercial that I was talking about before, where they redid the commercial. where ended, I'm pretty sure Colette us. put that in the comments on Facebook, by the way. Yeah, it was like, they changed it to he saves us, and they put a bunch of people that have converted, like, that, uh, Jesus changed their life, everything from a former Ku Klux Klan member to, to a former jihadist and stuff like that. And he's just mm-hmm. like, he saves us. So, yeah, he gets us. He gets that, you know, we're sinners, but, like, he saved these these people and gave great, like, testimony just by showing their picture and what they were before and what they are now <laughs> into, like, what he changes us to be.
0: You know what commercial they were running in Solomon Gomorrah? He gets us.
3: <laughs> That's strong.
0: He gets us so much so that he came down and he witnessed it all. That's that's my thing. What he, he gets, gets us, us. us, and then what did you do? He judged.
4: There is no incentive to change. There is no recognition of sin. There is no needing a savior. It's like, oh, you know, wherever my life is at now, whatever I got going on, he gets it. He gets it. There's, there's, there is no incentive for change. There's no incentive for transformation. But the it doesn't. I don't know. It's a tough thing to fit in a small spot. Well, it
2: does. If you have faith, I don't know, you know, I'm just thinking about this, like, what does that even, what does it mean? Does it even require change? Like, what does it Hmm. really mean? If you have faith, like there's things, I mean, I'm sure I could think of an example like that. I believe, you know, like I know that if you smoke cigarettes, you're going to get cancer. People know that they believe it. And yet they continue to do the thing that they know will.
3: So my question is, why
2: did, why did you become a Christian?
3: He's still trying to figure that out well because I mean has God I, has Jesus left you the same as you were when you first became a Christian,
2: certainly not, but I'm still sinful well that, I mean I, I'm not saying in like obvious ways like I don't so have any crazy me, things no but. let me get let me let me try to answer that question like let's try to get
0: maybe one step backwards
1: for the record I love that question which one the like why did you become a Christian and the yes i i should be on the screen hold on the the idea of you like i was watching you while this was happening and he asked you why you became a christian and you were thinking and then he asked you if you had changed and you said yes i have changed but i'm still sinful um i just just i loved i love watching that in you and i'm excited to hear zach's i wasn't expecting to take as long as it did yeah
0: you need to move the mic closer to you by the way you're like
3: well, what, so, now? what I, I am saying,
1: listening to I guess myself. What I, was I can hear me. <laughs> what else? So loud.
3: That? What I was getting with that? Would you even recognize that you were a sinner that much if you had if he hadn't saved you and changed you to the point where you could recognize that? If he just gets me, that's not what I'm looking for in a god. Any of the gods out there is going to get me, whether that be a good thing or a bad thing. He's going to get me in one way or another. But Jesus is the only one that God sent to so, save so us. So
0: real quick. So the better the better commercial
3: i I'll, I'll I'll tell you the more
0: important commercial isn't does he get me does he get us but do I get him mm. because because and, and this gets to your question salvation requires something important it requires not perfection. It doesn't even require like the full essence of transformation or whatever follows, but salvation, like Jesus only works if I get him as a savior, but I can only have him as a savior. If I accept the reality of my own situation, my own condition, my own plight, the, the what ticks people off about that. He gets us is that it seems to be like this, this excuse for you understanding your own self, mm-hmm and what he came to even be in your own life. Like I have to A, first come to an understanding of myself that I'm broken, that I'm a sinner, that I'm fallen, that I'm separated from God, and that I'm going to perish. And I deserve it. And there's nothing I can do about it. And then I see Jesus, and it's not just what he said, it's not just who he was, it's what he did on the cross to to, to die for me, to pay for my sin. I get him. I understand why he what he did. He did what I couldn't on my behalf for me. So I'm accepting. I'm I I need salvation. I need to be saved, and I see in Jesus a worthy Savior, an able Savior, that He wants to save me. At that point, there is an agreement that's made, an an arrangement that's reached, an exchange that takes place where it's like, I'm damned, but he is saved. It's not, hey, does Jesus love me just the way that I am? Absolutely. But he loves me more to change me into who I'm not. So when I accept Jesus as my savior, at that point, I'm giving him my life I'm asking him to make me new. Does that mean that I'm s I'm I'm does that mean that I, I no longer sin? Not at all. But what it does mean is that there will be begin a transformation that, yeah, won't be completed till heaven. The Bible presents salvation in three tenses. I am saved, past tense. Saved from what? Well, I'm saved from all of this. Saved from who I am. I'm saved. I, I, I'm, I'm saved from the old man. I've become new. I am saved, past tense, from who I was. Then the Bible says, I am being saved. Like there's an active thing, like this transformation. I am being saved from my flesh, this this unholy residue, this programming, this the, the temptation within myself, that fallenness. I am saved. I am being saved. And But then the Bible says that I will be saved. This third, final manifestation that only happens in heaven. That when I leave this fallen world, where sin is gone, temptation ceases, that I'm now, I'm and, and I, I'm given glory. So there is this progress, but the progress only happens not when I come to the conclusion that God knows who I am. I would hope he does. I would hope God gets us. If not, what kind of God would he be? Pretty ignorant.
3: Especially when he made me.
0: Yeah, he made and he and he's very observant. That's why I say Sodom
2: and Gomorrah, God God knew him. So it would be fair to say possibly then it's not then that you understand that he's your savior, that you believe that you need to be saved, and that you believe that he will be the one who saves you. Because I think that we were talking about um Samson. Got the long hair, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, (laughs) who cut it off? How dare he? Um, When it started growing back, it
0: looked like uh, Black Osteen over there.
1: Again, don't compare me to Joel Osteen. He's a heretic. Uh, But Pope Pope Creighton's fine, who's also (laughs) a heretic. You know what? You make a good argument. Hot
2: take. I can't remember if that was the judge who you're. (laughs) Or maybe, no, no, no. Maybe it was in Judges. I can't remember who it was, but basically they were doing the Lord's work, and then, you know, eventually, I guess, probably they went to hell. Do you know who I'm talking about? I don't. Okay. Well, anyway, we had, we'd had a conversation several episodes ago where we were talking about how you can be saved but possibly fall out of that.
1: Oh, uh, we I think we were talking about Samson. You are talking about the idea of uh, once the saved, spirit. always yeah. saved, and whether or not that is true, Yes,
2: yes whoever that was, maybe it was Samson. I mean, it might've been Saul. Neither, neither here nor there. We'll have to, we'll have to develop the idea for an, an coherent question. Well, my coherent question, I think is that, is that even possible? I mean, I think it is that, you know, if I believe in Jesus and that he is going to save me, that I need his saving. Do I really, that is almost like a, like a golden ticket to just continue to sin. Even though like, I know that. So, so Paul writes about this in
0: Romans, the middle part, he says, he's talking about grace and the glories of grace, that it's undeserved merit, that it's, it's all, it's his sacrifice. not mine. It's his work. It's not mine. That it's a gift I receive and I enjoy. So Paul, then he asks the actual logical question. He says, I think it's chapter eight. Maybe he says, so we should sin that grace may abound. Like I mean, it's kind of what you're asking.
2: He's like that. That's that's his question. Where yes. there is
1: sin, there is grace. Where there's more sin, there is more grace. But he says, should we sin so that grace may abound? And well, it's not.
2: And, that's an easy question. That's a easy question to answer. Obviously, why? you should not. Well, that's what Paul would say. Certainly not,
0: because and then James kind of builds on the idea that like we're saved by grace through faith, but it's a faith that works. We're not saved by works, but we're saved by a faith that works. And so like, like, let's go back to the belief, like what we believe in him. What saves me ultimately big picture is that when I, I have placed my faith in Jesus so that when I stand before God, I am not trying to demonstrate my goodness, deservingness, worthiness on my own merit, works, or efforts, but I am purely appealing to Jesus. I'm standing before God saying I deserve hell except for I've placed my faith in that what Jesus did for me is enough. And that's where when God then sees you, he sees you justified, righteous, just as if you'd never sinned, righteous because he sees Jesus. It's his covering. The other option is you reject what Jesus has done, and you stand before God and say, hey, I've been good enough. And God says, you're not. And you perish. Now, the reality of what Jesus does for me on earth Like, that plays out in heaven. But in the moment, okay, let's go back to the whole context. There was a man, verse 1 of chapter 3, Gospel of John. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a good teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Which is very interesting, because did Nicodemus phrase a question? No. He says, most assuredly, I say, he says, he says, you're a teacher come from God. No one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. There's no question. So Jesus answered a non-question. He knew. He said, I'm telling you, most assuredly, take it to the bank. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He's like, Nicodemus, I know what you're here for you know about the kingdom of God? How do I enter the kingdom of God? How do I see the kingdom of God? Jesus says, you have to be born again. So Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So Jesus answered, he said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, capital S, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You can hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Nicodemus answered and said, how can these things be? And then that's when Jesus goes into this dissertation that culminates with, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. How can one be born again? How can one be born of the Spirit how could one have the spirit of God in their heart? And he understood this reference to Jeremiah. I'm going to take out the heart of stone. I'm going to replace it with my spirit. Nicodemus knew the prophecies about transformation and being made new, the new covenant, the new covenant idea. And Jesus is like, you need to be born again. You need the spirit of God inside of you. That's how you'll see the kingdom of God. He's like, how do that, how does that happen? So we focus on, well, we believe in Jesus so we won't perish and have everlasting life. That's the golden ticket. That's the selling point. Heaven, not hell sounds great. But don't forget the context is personal transformation right now on earth. Can I throw out an idea? How can I be born again? And then Jesus says, well, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That, your belief in that, that is what causes rebirth. That is what causes transformation. That's what causes the old to become new in a practical sense right now you're born of flesh everyone's born of flesh you must be born of spirit which speaks of a present active thing that has to happen now now it has long-term results in heaven but that belief in jesus isn't just about eternity it's not just about everlasting life it's not just a get out of hell ticket it's about rebirth which is what the he gets us doesn't whether they get it or not i don't know they just are incomplete in the thought Mm
4: -hmm.
0: he gets us for what to change us it's all you have to add. He gets us and he wants to change us. He wants to heal us. He wants to transform us. He wants to mend broken hearts. He wants to take the woman who's, who's, who's had an abortion. He wants to heal her. He has a future and a plan and a hope for her. He gets us. Who cares if he gets us? It's what he wants to do with us. Mm-hmm. Like that's the gospel. And that's what this doesn't, this commercial is why people are upset. It's like that doesn't, so What? That's not the gospel that doesn't give the world anything because every God gets us and he handles us different ways. It's unique that God so loved the world that he gave himself. That's different. Creighton, you were about to jump in.
1: Yeah, I was. What I, I got was, preachy there. That is kind I of did, your job. I did. Hallelujah. I got preachy. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Um, I wanted to go back. Aaron was over like this. To the, the idea that, um, <laughs> You, didn't you know, put me on the shall screen. I sin so that grace may abound? And Isaac, you said, well, that's an easy, that's an easy answer. No, you shouldn't. And the the part of my brain that wants to poke holes in the things I hear is like, ah, is that an easy question? Because there's a, there's a part of me that is like, oh yeah, you give me a blank check. I'm going to spend the crap out of it. Like, Yeah. If you give me all of the money in the world, I'm going to spend every dollar that I can get my hands on. Yeah, why wouldn't I
3: sin more so that grace? Like, why not? Because you can't. Because the Holy Spirit convicts you when you do sin. Yes, and that's I where I was getting what,
2: to,
1: Justin. That,
3: <laughs> thank you.
2: You took the wind out of his sails. <laughs> <My> transformation <laughs> as a byproduct. That's where of that. I was going. Well it
3: kind of goes back to all of us. I mean, like, yeah. But, I mean, it's, like, I've been a Christian for thirty something years now. And, and, you know, has my life been easy? No, definitely not. Because I've had to make decisions not on my own accord, but like, because I couldn't do certain things that everybody else was doing because I was convicted. I would, I, and I know I would be convicted if I did those things. Right. And that's what I was getting
1: to. That is what it means to be saved. Is that you like not what it means to be saved, but that's what it means to be saved is that you get that. No, you shouldn't since grace may abound because there are consequences to those things. And you want to be what God wants you to be. I don't think you can have those two things at the same time. Again, I couldn't pull the verse if I wanted to, but Jesus says, can light abide with dark? And the answer is no, you can't live in a world where you are just sinning for sinning's sake, because you can, and also be a follower of Jesus. Those two things are diametrically opposed. Well, I
3: think it goes back to also like understanding how Jesus saved us and what He saved us mm-hmm. from. Like if somebody if, if, if you were to save me and give your life for me or, or something like that, I'm not going to go out and do stuff that I know you're against. You wouldn't be you, tall, right. <laughs> that you know i I'm gonna like if somebody saves me really changes my life like saves my life, I'm not gonna go out and continually try and hurt that, that no person.
1: that li- your life then becomes theirs right and you live it for their benefit
2: well I mean not unless that was your nature
3: again and and I think Paul addresses this um where, where he, when he goes back to that that verse of you know should I sin like right? When he talks about continuing to sin is like putting Jesus back on the cross, right? Was mm-hmm. that Paul? Yes. Yeah. So I mean, it's 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 that aspect of thing. Yeah, I'm gonna sin. I'm gonna keep sinning. But that that conviction of the Holy Spirit is is what sets me apart as a believer in Jesus from average Joe Schmo on the street who's not a Christian who's gonna keep sinning. I mean, that that's why I hate these these videos that say faith in humanity restored. I have zero faith in humanity. No, people are horrible. Except I yeah. have faith that they're going to sin. They're going to yeah. do the wrong thing and it's because they don't have Jesus to change them into a new creation who's now let's, has the ability not to Let's
0: let's pivot the topic here to kind of close. i are pivot, getting about time. And I'm going to pivot in a way that you're not expecting. It's absolutely true. So so the the commercial that he gets us that's riled a bunch of people up. So when Jesus, so we're playing off this idea of washing feet and we're playing off of, of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. And this was the night that he would be betrayed. He'd be crucified. Jesus were told the upper room, the Seder, they're celebrating Passover Jesus gets up, he girds himself, he takes a bowl of water, and he starts to wash their feet. This is one of the last like, lasting moments that he's going to have with these men. Jesus knows what's coming. Um, This is a a, a real radical thing. What Jesus does is very radical because uh, feet in Eastern culture was viewed as the dirtiest part of a human being. Um, In fact, there's rabbinical writings that said that that Jews were forbidden from washing feet. That it was a job reserved only for the Gentiles. Because, you know, they were kindling for the fires of hell anyway. That Jews, even Jewish slaves, were forbidden from washing feet. In the East today, feet are still viewed with such a disdain. open toe shoes, uh, streets that double as sewers, your feet got real dirty. It was, you know, it was a thing. Um, Again, makes it interesting that when Moses, who was in total abject failure for 40 years, wandering the wilderness, sees the burning bush, the first instructions are remove your sandals where you're standing is holy. There is this thing where God wants the dirtiest part of us to come in contact with his holiness. For what purpose? For cleansing. To be made whole. Which is why when Jesus is washing their feet, everybody's real awkward, gets to Peter, and he's the only one that speaks up, right? He's like, no, 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 no. You're not doing this. It's not that he had a foot fetish. It's that that Peter understood like, no, this is undignified. I'm not going to allow you to do this. What did Jesus say? He says, if I don't do this, you have no part with me. Jesus like laid the hammer down. Why? Because it wasn't about washing feet. Jesus was illustrating through the washing of feet, something bigger that Jesus has to wash us and he has to cleanse us, which is then why Peter is like, well, if that's the case. I don't just wash my feet, give me a whole bath. You know, I'm paraphrasing, but that's kind of what Peter does. We are told in Scripture that it is the goodness of God that leads a man to repentance. That it is not the judgment of man that leads a man to repentance. It is not the condemnation of Christians that leads a sinner to repentance. That it is the goodness of God that leads a man to repentance. And... As Christians, we are to be his hands and feet in a fallen world. And it should be our goodness, not our judgment, but our goodness that leads people to repent. So the one thing that I can say from this particular, he gets Us commercial, um, that I'm okay with is that as Christians what should our attitude be towards the world around us? And it should be kindness. I, I think they picked the wrong imagery to, 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 to emphasize that because, again, the whole idea of foot washing has a different implication than I think they understood. But just the cultural idea of, of humbling ourselves and being, being willing to get into the muck and the mire of a person's life to see healing and cleansing like if that's the if that's what they were just trying to get to that hey jesus wants to get down into your muck and he wants to cleanse you and and he gets you he knows you're broken he knows you're a sinner he knows you're messed up he knows you're struggling and jesus isn't scared of that he's not going to run from that but he's willing to, to gird himself, take the position of a servant, and have his holiness come in contact with your filthiness. You know what? I'm okay with that. Now, I don't know if that, that was the intention. Not, again, the commercial is vague. And then when they say Jesus isn't about hate, he washes feet. I think people have had an, a, a reaction to the commercial because it, it is, it's not so much emphasizing Jesus, It's trying to poke the eye of Christians of like, you see, you're not loving enough or you don't represent Jesus enough. And it's like, how dare you? Like, how dare you? Now, are there a lot of Christians that are misrepresent Jesus? Oh, for sure. I did a series of videos years ago that are on the internet, but you can't find them. Please don't look where I I thought it would be fun to explore like, what would it look like if if Jesus, we always talk about Christians are supposed to act like Jesus. I thought it would be funny to try to illustrate Jesus acting like Christians. So I took the old like 70s Jesus movies and I cut them up and I overdubbed all the voices and I had Jesus acting like Christians. So one of them was like Jesus was being cliquish or Jesus was being judgmental. That was another one. I said, what if Jesus hated gay people? And so it was actually this scene of Nicodemus coming and Jesus, uh, was making fun of him for being gay. Um, and it's like, it was just illustrating just the lunacy, like of what it would look like if Jesus looked, we're supposed to act like Jesus. What if Jesus acted like us? No one would want to follow him. And I think that that's, that's a problem that we have. Right.
1: Absolutely. Um, I mean, Gandhi said that he likes our Jesus, not our Christians right
0: yeah so anyway any any final thoughts you guys have anything spice daddy this world of spice daddy first we'll work around the room Creighton
3: I I mean I like what you said the last part I mean it. I, you know it, I did a leadership conference thing uh, one time with a what I can assume to be majority of people that have never even heard much about Jesus and uh one of the last things we did uh, was, you know, I told him about this uh, wise teacher that, you know, he said to be a, basically it ended up being like about servant leadership is, is what our theme was. And uh, we washed their feet. Yeah. And it was just kind of show them like, if you're going to be a good leader, you, you have to play the part of the servant and, and get into the dirty muck of things. Mm -hmm. We
0: go back, we go back to, we've brought this up before, but like that, that, that famous story that that is illustrated in the Jesus Revolution about about Calvary Chapel, you had all these hippies coming to Calvary Costa Mesa, and the elders have this meeting with Pastor Chuck, and they're worried about they're dirty, they're not wearing shoes, and we just we just put all this new carpet in the building, you know, and that that was like we can't have these dirty people in here with the new carpet, and Chuck's like this is stupid. So what did he do the next Sunday? He set up a bowl of water out in front of the 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 sanctuary, and he washed everyone's feet. Mm-hmm. And just, and just illustrated Christ's likeness and how crazy this was
3: that they cared more about the carpet mm-hmm. than about the souls of people. And it kind of goes back to the, I mean, it goes back to the, the verse, where, you know, John three sixteen is Yeah, it says God sent his son, <laughs> but Jesus talking about this, so he's talking about himself he's here. He's talking hey, about I mean, himself. Like God, yeah, God sent his son, but Jesus chose to do this at the same time. Yes. Or else it would have meant nothing. For uh, sure. Uh, it I would have meant something because it's God, but I mean, uh, like,
0: he, it had to be a free will. It, it had to be like, a free yeah. will, and, mm-hmm. and he
3: did that. And, and and how can you go back after understanding what a, 100%, he saved you from, 100%. but B, that he chose to do that rather than just it, it's different than me sending sending Creighton to go save somebody than then and Jesus you know, even says I didn't come to condemn the world right but that the world might be saved like right. the,
0: that's the motivation
3: and uh, it kind of goes back to the, you know when he does come back to judge. Like how, how sad and frustrating that's going to be when he came to save it, and then not everybody chose to be saved. Mm-hmm. They didn't. Not yeah. every. And it, it kind of goes back to the. They ritual. chose to perish. They chose to perish, and it goes back to how many of the Hebrews when they when God told them to look on the snake when they got bitten, how many of them chose not to look at the snake because they thought, oh, that's stupid—a a copper snake hanging right. on a sticks not going to save me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. it. it it seems like foolishness, and if, it, whatever God tells me to do is not foolishness. <laughs> so,
0: Aaron Mott, what do you got?
4: Kind of, I guess, further to the point that you brought up um, in terms of, you know, accepting in faith and faith and transformation as a result. Um, just kind of thinking about how, how, you know, God didn't send Jesus and just give us, you know, you need to have faith in me, you need to be transformed, et cetera, and then just leave us. You know, how, how much of a key element the in, 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 in true faith, um, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, not mm. only to convict, but to guide and to teach. And to, to equip. To equip. Um, so I think just kind of further to that point, you know, it, because it can be very difficult and convoluted to try and kind of navi- navigate life from, from that new point of faith and transformation when you're still so sinful. And so, I mean, you know, you're still you. Um, is that you're not left to deal with that and figure it out alone. Yeah. You know, the, the the power of the Holy Spirit is is like the key element there, I guess.
0: The dynamite, the dynamos. The dy- yeah, yeah. You know, like Jesus, you know, before he ascended to heaven, he's like, he gave us this great yeah. commission, go into the world, but, but, but wait, <laughs> go to Jerusalem, and hang only. out. Because you, you're not, Jesus had saved them, he had died for them and saved them, but they weren't, but they weren't ready to be useful. Mm-hmm. There was something else they still needed, mm-hmm. and that was the power of the Holy Spirit. That's right. our, our resident audience member tonight, uh, football mom,
2: Isaac. Well, I, I definitely liked what you, what you said there last, um, and I think it's really powerful to consider that Jesus wasn't sent to condemn, and I feel like a lot of people, a lot of Christians now do condemn. Not, mm-hmm. not to say that we have the power to condemn, but we do condemn the sin. But is that wrong? I'm not sure because you kind of—it's not like we're condemning them to hell. But we're maybe it is our maybe it is a the purpose or a purpose to tell people and the truth, that, just the truth mm-hmm. that you will be condemned to hell. Yeah, by doing these things. But yeah, it's there's definitely a lot of questions that I still have, you know, about the whole process. But for I, sure. I appreciate you going into it,
0: Black Osteen. What
1: would you got? Nope, I still don't like it. Oh my <laughs> gosh! I have. You know what? There is something different between the Pope and Joel Steen. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to figure. You're going to have you're going to have a week to figure it out. Man, don't like that at all. Um, I think this is a good episode. I think there we could spawn three or four episodes off for, for sure. the conversations yeah, no we have, and I'm thinking. Do we have any
0: uh, anything online? Anything we need to to chirp chirp in there?
1: Um. Uh, my mother said that Jesus Gets Us. Uh, she said, Jesus Gets Us as a thing doesn't require change by those who hear the message, which goes back to what we were talking yeah, about the, yeah, yeah. the idea of the Jesus Gets Us movement, mm-hmm. or not movement, commercial. Miss Ann says, hello. Um, and Colette put what I believe to be the um, other commercial, okay, the, yeah. the parody, in the comments on Facebook. So, r- real so quick, that's about it.
0: Real quick. Uh, I was just going to throw a, a very quick story. We're
2: going to close with this, and then I'll take us out. So, Well, uh, firstly, I just wanted to say hello, Ann. Um, this past week, I... This is hilarious, Craig. You're going to love this. Went to get some roof rails, roof rack put on my, my car as part of the deal. Um, so anyway, I was down there in Stone Mountain, and they put the roof rack on, and they were putting the last bracket on, and they realized that it was the wrong part. So they had called another dealer... They went and got that box. Anyway. Really that, not a relevant part of the story. But it, <laughs> but it is though, very relevant. Anyway, so in this whole process, I'm there for literally six hours. They're like, it's going to take another couple hours. Do you want to go get some lunch? And I was like, sure. Uh, and I usually would have never gone to uh, Chick-fil-A, but I went to Chick-fil-A that day. Uh, you know, the Lord's food. And besides the McRib, as some would say. Mm-hmm. Um, mm, amen. And I, I get up to the counter and I'm just like, you know, ordering the norm number one extra pickles, and uh, and this woman was like, "Are you on? Are you on the Outlaw Radio?" And I, like, <laughs> I'm looking at the menu, and I like looked down, and I was like, <laughs> "Yes." And she's like, "I'm Ann." And I was like, "Oh my gosh!" It was just crazy. This happenstance. So it was that's so cool, really awesome and random. But anyway, it was a pleasure to meet you, Ann. And uh, we'll-
0: Isaac, Isaac, Isaac's famous. That's wild. He's been recognized
3: she in call public. Did football mom or just asked you for on? No,
2: no, <laughs> no. She called me Isaac. Uh, I think there's probably just some confusion. Is it football mom, Velvet Elvis? You know, I mean, we really need oh, to I Oh, I forgot about Velvet Elvis. Sweet. Yeah, man. We yeah.
0: should go. We're just seeing what lands. Or, or yeah, you know,
3: Dexter. I think we've gotten rid of Organ Dexter. Yeah,
0: Oregon Dexter's been punted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Velvet Elvis. I a solid like one. I still like that. We might need to get a t-shirt made up. Mm. So, anyway, uh, Anything left, Creighton? We good? No, we're good. Anyway, all right. I'm going to hit some music. Thank you so much for joining us tonight at the Outlaw Radio Show. If you're watching, check out the podcast. The audio from tonight will be released tomorrow on Thursday. Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasting. If you're listening to the Outlaw Radio Show, join us live uh, on Wednesday night. Uh, We go live at 8 p.m. So if you're watching, check out the podcast. If you're listening, check out the live stream. All that being said, my name's Zach. Hope you join us next week. God bless.